All right. Well, um, in recent weeks uh, during the coronavirus, um, we've been looking at different passages uh, from First Peter, and uh, just we, the reason we've been doing that is because uh, these aren't easy times for us. Uh, we have been isolated. Uh, we've been inconvenienced. Um, some of us have faced sickness, and some of us have uh, faced some financial pressures, and uh, just a uh, I think First Peter is uh, good for us because it speaks about suffering. Uh, the theme of First Peter, as you all know, is uh, suffer now and glory later. Uh, that is our lives here on earth. Uh, we're going to encounter sufferings. We're going to encounter difficulties. It isn't the Eden and the utopia that, that many people think uh, might be. It might be, but rather it is um, a, a life filled with pain and sorrow and sickness and war and even injustice uh, that really hits, hits everyone. And all of this really reminds us that our hope isn't for this life, it's for the life to come. And it's the, the life to come that brings us glory in Jesus. I just want to bring to you uh, just one verse of scripture here from uh, from 1 Peter 5. And verse 10, in which Peter, relentless upon this theme of suffering, uh, just speaks. And he says this, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Um, you know, in, in this verse, right, just, just even notice here, we've got, we've got suffering and we've got glory. We, we have we have suffering now, and we have glory later. The suffering, if you notice here, it just says it's for a little while. That is, it's just during our time here upon earth. But the glory is eternal. That is the later glory that we're we're talking about, um, and that's when Peter says we need to suffer now and glory later. He's writing to suffering people. Um, and he's just trying to give a perspective of the eternal glory that awaits us. And, and notice here, the eternal glory, it's for those who are in Christ. That is, it's, it's for Christians. It's for those who believe in Jesus, who can really trust the Lord for the, the glory to come later. And, and Peter, just throughout his whole epistle, is just constantly bringing back this theme of how the, the suffering is now and how the glory is later. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is just consider one passage of Scripture First uh, Peter chapter two uh, verses twenty one through twenty five, and in these verses, uh, Jesus is really talking about his suffering, talking about uh, sufferings, and he's talking. Peter talks about the the sufferings of Jesus, and, and my hope this morning is, as we think about the sufferings of Jesus, um, that it might give us a little perspective on on what we might experience during our isolation in in these days. Now, the suffering of Christ is far different than any suffering we experience, of course. Um, the extent of his sufferings is different. They're far greater. The source of his sufferings are different. Um, they come from the hands of wicked people. Uh, and our suffering comes from, from this small little virus that just means we can't interact with people or, or we're, our economy is going down. And so the comparison, I'm not trying to compare what we're doing with the sufferings of Jesus um, because that is way, way beyond. But Peter, when he speaks about suffering, he, he goes to Jesus and he speaks about even the son of God who was sinless and perfect, he suffered. And, and if he suffered, so likewise, um, we ought to have a perspective in our sufferings. And so 
I'm just going to read it for you here. If you have your Bible, it would be helpful. I'm going to read 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And uh, Peter says this. He says, um, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but are now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This my, my message this morning, I want to just break this passage down to, to three points. Uh, first of all, Jesus is our example in his sufferings. As he says, you can just see it right there in verse 21. He says, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. You might follow in his steps. Um, and so the sufferings of Jesus are an example. You know, sometimes we, we see people with a, uh, a bracelet on that, that says this, right? What would Jesus do? Um, you know, and it's a good question, right? If he's, he's our example, we need to look at what Jesus would do. Um, it's a good question to ask and everything that you're looking to do. Um, but yet sometimes it can, it can drift. Like sometimes even when you think about what Jesus would do, uh, we don't know what he would do. Or, or sometimes we don't even have a, a proper perspective about who Jesus is to know exactly what it is that, that he would do. Um, but also one of the things that's interesting is you find in the Bible, much more is written about what Jesus did than what we should do in following him. And so I think that those who wear WWJD bracelets, maybe maybe ought to consider a bracelet that says WDJD. What, what did Jesus do? Because what Jesus did for us really has the bearing upon what it is that we ought to do. In fact, even if you look here in verse 21, you see Christ's example was grounded in the model of what Jesus did, right? He he suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. So it's, it's, his, it's his suffering that is our example to follow. And so this what this verse is, is speaking about. It's speaking about suffering. And even if you look here, there, there is a, a link in this passage. It says at the beginning of verse 21, 4. And that just points us to what, what goes before. Why, why would he start talking about the suffering of Jesus? It's, it's because of this. So here, here's the four right here. And as we think about why, he then talks in verses 18 through 20 uh, just about, about servants and how we need to be subject to our, our masters with all respect. And, and that is, right, submit to your boss or kids maybe submit to your teacher, whether they're good or they're bad. In fact, in verses 19 and 20, uh, Peter is speaking about those who are bad, um, bad uh, judges, bad um, masters. Because here, here he talks about enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly. That is, your boss is unfair, or your your teacher is unfair, or someone in authority over your life is unfair. Uh, and here it even speaks about those who are um, who are suffering. But if you do good and suffer for it, I mean, just like Jesus, he did good and he suffered for it. And, and this realize is, is the calling of our salvation is that we have been called to this. As, as Christ suffered, we're to follow in the example. And what's the suffering? Well, it's enduring sorrows 
and and it is it is suffering even many times unjustly by by people who are are doing us wrong and even if we go back a little bit even in, in the context here in first peter we see here this is the section before right here's 13 to 17 and this is talking about just just government so this is talking about governmental leaders and he says this he says be subject for the lord's sake to every human institution whether to be the emperor whether it to be to the emperor as supreme or as to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And, and really, if there's is anything applicable to us, it is the reaction of, of government, right? You can just look at here as the emperor as supreme, right? We may not have an emperor, but we have a, a president and the president oftentimes thinks himself to be supreme. We have here, we have here governors, we could we could apply this as well. How we need to be submissive to them as well. Um, we might apply that to mayors. We might apply that to anyone who is who is in authority. And as as these leaders have led us with the the coronavirus, um, it's interesting. I have been hearing just an increasing unrest across our land. Um, just as the social distance has been going on for a month and a half. Listen, right, and our economy is is really starting to get crushed, and there there are people who are are getting impatient. And in fact, even if you think about why are we social distancing, the the whole idea here is to flatten the curve, right? To keep the curve low, so the health health system capacity, right? We don't break that, and yet, sadly, as many hospitals are empty, right? Doctors and nurses are being laid off because rather than flattening the curve, we've flatlined the curve. Um, and, and so as a result is there's, there's some angst in our, in our society today. And some of our suffering may, may come from that, come from the stay-at-home order that has been extended in Illinois here to, to May 30th. And it's really natural. People aren't happy. Here's the, here's the front page of the Rockford Register Star from Friday. Hundreds protest stay-at-home order. And this article really spoke about the, the number of people who are down in Springfield just protesting against the governor about why do we need to stay at home. Uh, uh, one representative said it good. He said, we need to open Illinois. This guy's from Decatur. He's a representative. He said, we need to get back to work. Our towns and our counties are suffering huge problems. And particularly down south, he says, this isn't Cook County. This isn't the collar counties. It's different. We're asking the governor to treat us differently. In other words, right? Chicago's different than downstate. And you get an idea that, that politics are starting to go on here. I mean, initially, like Rock Cut State Park, they kept shut. When, it, when like social distancing, it seems like we should be able to place where we should be able to go and unwind and relax. Um, instead, they kept it closed. Now, now thankfully, there's been a politician that says a rock cut is now allowed to be open. And, and I'm thankful that we live in a government where we can uh, change the course of our government. We live in a society that does that, but really it doesn't, doesn't change, you know, um, the matter at all. The decisions of the government, right. Are what we need to submit to. Um, and it has changed us inconvenienced us a little bit as a church, but we're meeting online even today. Uh, we've been inconvenienced our jobs a, a little bit. Um, but someday we may get back together. In fact, did, did you even see the, the, the notice up here, right? It says, new Illinois ruling allows church services for up to 10. So 
right? Our church service starting to come together, but that's only 10. You know, maybe we could have small groups at church, but they need to be social distanced uh, there at church. Um, we can't all meet together yet because we have even more than 10 uh, on this call here, but, but it's coming. But until that time, we would do well to be model citizens is what Peter's calling us to do. He's calling us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And, and just, just consider this first here. Right? Just even think in our suffering, and primarily our suffering, even as applicable to us, is probably coming from some of the governmental decisions that have been made. Like it says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. And, and so I just would encourage you, um, say me in your social media, I would encourage you in your talks and discussions, um, that even if unreasonable uh, expectations are placed upon us, that we need to honor everyone and we need to honor our emperor. And we as Christians should be model citizens and, and submit even to even to government that is, 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 is causing some difficulty in our lives. And I think about Jesus. Did Jesus know what it was like to face difficulty and hardship and suffering at the hand of, of an unreasonable government? Well, I, I think he did. And if you come back to this again, that Christ suffered for you, um, right? Leaving you this example. And, and how did he suffer? Well, he suffered at the hand of unjust government. I mean, I mean, he, in fact, it's the epitome of injustice of how Jesus suffered. Because it says here that he committed no sin. Jesus was not to be blamed for anything. And, and in fact, astonishing when you think about who wrote these words, Peter did. It's one thing for Paul to write that Jesus had no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21. But it's another thing altogether for Peter to corroborate the same testimony. If anyone had an opportunity to see Jesus sin, it was Peter. For three years, he was right by his side. He went where Jesus went. He slept where Jesus sent, slept. He watched his every move. And Peter's testimony is that he committed no sin. That was in his conduct. He committed no sin. But also in his conversation, he also committed no sin as well. Look, it says, there was no deceit, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. That is, he didn't sin in whatever he said. He never lied, he never deceived, never sinned with his lips. And James says in James 3, 2, that if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a, a perfect man. Jesus didn't stumble in what he said. He was able to bridle his entire body not to sin. Now, that has certainly theological implications that he was the, the perfect sacrifice. And the reason Jesus could bear our sins in his body, as verse 24 indicates, is that he was the perfect sacrifice. And one of the clearest indications and testimonies of his sinlessness came when it, when it came down to him being crucified. And that's really what, what verse 23 is talking about. This, this is what he did in the midst of his crucifixion. And, and and so many unjust things came upon him. And, and when you read through the gospel accounts, it's just stunning to see how he was silent before his accusers. He he was before the, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, and, and they kept trying to find false testimony against Jesus, and he was silent. And in fact, even the high priest stood up and said, do you not answer what these people are testifying against you? And Jesus was silent because no deceit was found in his mouth. And when reviled, he didn't revile in return. And, and, and even when Jesus did finally say something, when, when the high priest said, I adjure you, are you the Christ or not? 
And Jesus basically said, you said it yourself. And then the high priest tore his robe, said he deserves death. They start beating him. And Jesus was silent. He didn't revile. He didn't under threats. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Notice how how he responded. He entrusts himself to him who judges justly. We'll, We'll see that in a little bit of a moment. But you see the sinlessness of Jesus when things are pounding down upon him. And he entrusts himself to God. And as the evening wore on, right, just, just through the evening, he was sent to Pilate. First he had his religious um, trial, and then he had his Roman trial. He went to Pilate. And, and he didn't know what to do, and Jesus had a quiet conversation with him. Then he sent off to Herod. And, and to Herod, he was totally quiet. He was silent. And then sent back to uh, Pilate. And again, he was, he was quiet in his conversation with him. And finally, when he more ch- and less challenged Pilate, he says, you have no authority unless it was given to you. He finally delivered him over to the Jews who were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And when Jesus stood before the crowds and, and being accused of uh, of whatever, blasphemy, whatever, and telling him to be crucified, he was silent. And then when he went out to be crucified, the whole series of sufferings, right? Beating him, spitting upon him, walking on the Via Dolorosa, that is the way of suffering. He was silent. And on the hill called Calvary, stretched out upon a cross, pounded nails into his hands and feet, hoisted up to die. His suffering wasn't finished. There were people hurling verbal abuse at him. And this is probably what Peter's talking about when he was reviled. You remember there upon the cross? We're saying, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Oh, he saved others. He can't save himself. And if any time when he was reviled, He didn't revile in return. When he was suffering, he didn't utter any threats. Rather, he prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are are doing. Catch the point, though. Jesus here is is our example. He's the example of us of how it is that we ought ought to suffer, whether it is through the virus and and suffering and illness. We ought to entrust ourselves to God whether it's through the the decisions of the government shutting down things and and suffering as a result of that, we ought not to revile our government. Instead, we ought to entrust ourselves to God. Now, one of the things that is most encouraging is is this whole aspect here. You say, how did Jesus endure the suffering? Like, like how did he make it through? And, And we might say, well, he was God. Of course, he could he could get through because he was the, the the son of God, right? Here upon the earth, God in the flesh. Of course, he could suffer. He could be sinless because he was all powerful. And yet, look what he did. He entrusted himself to Him, the judges justly. He entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. He entrusted himself to God. In other words, right? He, he knew that God would deal fairly with the situation. Deuteronomy thirty-two. Verse 35, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And Jesus knew that that while he was upon the cross, it wasn't time for him to establish justice at that moment. Rather, it was the Lord's will for him to submit himself to the Father's situation. And, And likewise for us, we just think about any suffering that comes upon us, whether it's from other people or from slanders or accusations or or things that result even here from the, the coronavirus, we are called to do exactly what Jesus did. Look here, 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Here we go. We're going to entrust ourselves. 
We're going to entrust ourselves to the, the faithful creator that is to him. We're going to trust ourselves to him who does good. That is the one who judges justly. And so this is this is where we ought to be in whatever suffering we exhibit. Now, now certainly, right, I'm, I'm happy for the protests in Springfield. I'm, I'm happy we live in a government where we can uh, we can put forth those things and we can protest and we can change the laws so that we can go to Rock Cut State Park. But there, there's got to be a way in which we do so, right, in, in trusting our souls in this way. And, and I just encourage you, church family, that there's this correlation it's an amazing correlation between your belief in God's ultimate power and sovereignty and just judgment upon evildoers that allows us to humbly respond because we don't need to justify ourselves. We don't need to defend ourselves. We need very little because we know that God is the one who's going to do good and God is the one who's going to judge justly as we suffer. So I just encourage you, church family, as he is our example that you just go in any suffering that we have, little as it is, right? just go and do likewise. Jesus is our example in our suffering, but he's also our, our substitute. Really, you see that there in verse 24 about he is our substitute. It says that he bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And we see here that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. That is, Jesus took our sins upon himself. And by his wounds, you've been healed. It's as if he took right the, the vaccination or the cure for us. And rather than letting us die, he took it for us, or he got sick for us so that we can be healed. The, the, the big word here, though, that verse 24 represents here is the idea of substitution. When Jesus took our place, it, it, it is the, the glorious gospel about how we, though guilty, can walk free because of what Christ did for us. And that really ought to, to guide us and think about the suffering of Jesus. Yes, it was an example for us, but his suffering was even, even greater than that, right? What did Jesus do? And what Jesus did upon the cross was he took our sins upon himself. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. Taking, taking the wrath of God upon himself. And I just encourage you to have the same attitude as Horatio Spafford, who just, you know, said, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. He, and he just thought this, this is such a wonderful thought that he started it and he, he needed to go over it again. He said, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And, and there's the idea that it's nailed actually to the cross, nailed to the cross or as as uh, 1 Peter 2.24 said, in his body. And where was his body? His body was on the cross. And, and it's not just a part of our sin. It is all of our sin that he, he took away from us. As Colossians, 3 verse, Colossians 2 verse 13 says, he's forgiven us all our transgressions. And that's what verse 24 is talking about. He bore our sins in his body, right? Taking them away. Well, I want to just tell you a little story about a, a stowaway. It's a fictional story, but it's a story nonetheless that that really helps give us an idea of what substitution is is about. Some years ago, a small steamer embarked upon a, a trip across the Atlantic Ocean, and a few days into the trip, a stowaway was discovered. He was a, a little boy who hitched a ride on the boat. What he did was a, 
a naughty thing. But before that, the captain even could speak with him or address it. A, a storm, uh, a terrific storm came up over the South Atlantic Ocean. And for three days, this, this ship was tossed and, and battered by the, the waves and the wind. The mast uh, was carried away. The steering gear was damaged. They're totally at the, at the mercy of the wind. And toward the close of the, the third day, the, the storm increased to such a severity that the, the captain said to abandon ship. And so the, the sailors, right, were, were pouring out into the, the times of the, uh, into the, the, the rescue boats. But to the dismay of all, it was discovered that, that there was only one boat of the rescue boats that remained undamaged by the waves. The, the rest were so battered, no one could expect to, to live in the sea with these. And so there's nothing to do but get into the entire crew into just one small boat. And so the men, men climbed in, filling the boat to its capacity. And there's there just room enough for the captain to squeeze in. And the nobleman that he was, Englishman that he was, he waited until last. And just as he was about to step on, right, here comes this stowaway running and says, Captain, Captain, what about me? And, and, and he never really dealt with him, but he said, quick, lad, right? And, and he said, down the ladder and onto the boat. And the lad just jumped right on there. And he was in the side of the boat in a moment, filling just the, the last bit of space that there was. And then the men said, Captain, come on, come on board. But the captain knew that, that if he sat in that uh, boat, that he would capsize it all. And so he said, no, push off. And he pushed the men off. And not a moment too soon, because they were hardly at a safe distance away from the ship. And it turned on its side and plunged into the sea, along with the captain, bringing him along to his ocean grave. And then after many days of hardship, the men on the boat were picked up by a passing vessel and finally reached their home again. And never did the stowaway forget the captain's sacrifice. So the memory of that heroic deed really changed his life. He felt he must be worthy of so priceless a gift. In his pocket, he carried the captain's photograph to which he'd often point as he told the story over and over again. He says, he gave his life for me. And that's a that's a picture of what Christ has done for us upon the cross. He, he's the captain, and we're the stowaway. We have done naughty things, that, and we do not deserve to be saved. We do, do not deserve that, that last place in the boat. But Jesus died to bring it about, and it's his death that really brought us life. The captain dying on the ship allowed the, the stowaway to get on the, the rescue boat. And that's that's what First Peter Chapter 2 and verse 24 teaches us, right? Jesus died as a substitute. Now, early in our service, we read from Isaiah chapter 53. And one of the reasons I had to do that is because the substitutionary sacrifice of these verses is just super clear. Uh, I mean, just, I, just, I just pulled out some verses here from Isaiah 53. But, but, but notice just the, the substitutionary sacrifice of that, the, the parallel with verse 24, our griefs he bore. Oops, here we're gonna go. Our griefs he bore, just like as he himself bore, like like exactly the same terminology. Our sorrows he carried. Those are similar words, bearing, and our our sorrows. He was pierced through for our transgressions. That's a, a substitutionary word, chastened for our iniquities. Our iniquities brought his chastening, and and, and the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And, and as a result of that also, that, that by a scourging, we are, we are healed. And, and it's, it means that just exactly what chapter 2 and verse 24 says, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we are, are healed. Uh, verse 6 here, look at it. it. It fell upon him. 
It says that they fell upon him. He, he was cut off, verse 8 says, out of the land of living for the transgression. I mean, in these words for, these are all, um, these are all substitutionary words. And he rendered himself as a guilt offering. So himself, he was the guilt offering as he bore our sins in his body. He bore again our iniquities and he bore the sin of many. This is, this to bear means to take upon yourself. That's what Jesus did. And that's why we read from Isaiah chapter 53. And I just say here that the verbal parallels are overwhelming. I am sure that when Peter wrote, he was thinking about the suffering. He's thinking about the, the suffering servant. Even as our family read uh, from Isaiah 53, um, someone said, you know, the, the Jews even today can't interpret this in light of Jesus. So they think it's Israel that suffered. But, but Peter said, no, it was, it was Jesus who suffered. I mean, consider these, just the parallel here. Isaiah 53, verse 9, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was of the rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth, right? We've seen this, right? Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. These similar things, right, from Isaiah 53. Or or what about the, the next passage here? Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter like a sheep that is silent before his shears, so he did not open his mouth, right? Didn't we see that in verse 22 as well, right? That he did not revile in return. Suffering he did not threaten. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Or or how about the next one, Isaiah 53? All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Right, this is exactly like we saw in uh, in verse 24, right? But falling on him. But also this speaks about the, the shepherding language. We're like sheep, straying, gone astray, straying like sheep. And, and these parallels, I think, are, are, are so much for us that I, Peter, as he wrote these things, certainly was I thinking about Isaiah 53, that we were like straying sheep. In fact, he, he segues right into that, into my last point this morning, that not only is he our example, now he's your substitute. He's also our shepherd. That that we were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. It's really a great paraphrase of the gospel, Isaiah fifty three verse six. That all of us like sheep have gone astray, and, and each of us gone to his own way. But the Lord has has caused to fall upon him the iniquity of us all, bearing our sins in his body. It's for us. That we wandering aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd, but now we have a shepherd. We're going our own way, but now we have an overseer who who watches over our souls. Now, now this is pastoral terminology. Shepherd and overseer are are, are the the words used for pastors and overseers and elders of the church. Shepherds, the the word there is for pastor. And and overseer, of course, that's what, what the job of a pastor and a shepherd is. At the beginning of 1 Peter 5, Peter addresses the elders of the church, and he tells them that there's a day when the chief shepherd will appear. And when he appears, you'll receive the crown of glory. And so Jesus is the chief shepherd of Rock Valley Bible Church. He is the, the, the senior pastor, if you will, of Rock Valley Bible Church. And, and any, any pastors or elders or shepherds that we have here at our church are merely under-shepherds. Of, of the great chief shepherd of our souls. And I'm, I'm so thankful for that, 
that, that it's my failures in pastoring and it's our elders failures in pastoring as we, we don't do a job perfectly. We don't do it as well as we could. I'm comforted to know that Jesus ultimately is the shepherd of our souls. He, he's, he's the one that we need to, to look to, to watch over and care for our souls as no human earthly pastor can do. And so I just bringing things to it to an end here. I just encourage you in these days of coronavirus, we, we think about any suffering that, that might come with it or, or, or any other suffering that you may be experiencing. Just know this, let, let's suffer well. Let, let, let's suffer as the example of Jesus, right? Who suffered well. The greatest injustice was done to him. And, and realize that in our suffering, we can entrust ourselves to God because he is our substitute. He's the one who died for us. And ultimately he's the one who will shepherd our souls. So let, let me pray this morning. And then we're going to sing a final song and then we'll see our greetings video and then we'll, we'll close up. So let's pray. Father, our, our suffering, it's, it's just so small during these days of coronavirus. It's, it's almost hard to consider it suffering when it means that we need to stay home with our family. And yet, God, I know that, that in our souls, we know that something is not right. And we know that as the economy is, is being damaged, it will have an effect upon us. Even as we have been given stimulus checks, it means that we have been forced to take out loans that we will have to repay. Um, God, just in a, in a later day to make it through, we have had to borrow and had to go into debt. And uh, Father, some, some families are doing fine and some families are struggling. Whether those who are alone are struggling, um, God, whether those who face sickness are struggling, whether those who are facing financial impact are struggling, and God, in whatever way it is, I pray that you would help First Peter to dig this lesson into our lives. So the, the suffering is now and only temporary, God, but our glory is later to be revealed with you in Christ. And so, God, I pray that you'd strengthen us through these times. Help us to glory in the gospel that Christ bore our sins in his body on the cross. God, that we might live differently, that we might live lives, God, that, that speak forth of your righteousness and praise. Um, Father, so help us in these days, help us in these days of separation to have the, uh, our hearts grow fonder for one another as that's what absence does. And God, that we may come back together again someday as a, as a church family and celebrate the Lord's Supper together and, and be with one another, worshiping you in the throng of the great congregation. So help strengthen us, oh, oh God, in these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.